Thanks, Nick. As one of the younger elders, it's my job to keep you all on your toes, so you're welcome. <laughs> no. uh, if, if you have your Bibles, hopefully you were reading along as, as Nick read to us this morning. and uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 13. We're going to continue our study through Romans. We have, uh, uh, over Christmas, kind of took a break, and then at the beginning of the new year, we're kind of in and out, and uh, Gary uh, had taken us through the first uh, seven verses of the book of Romans, uh, chapter 13. And so today we're going to look at uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. And, and I hope that after our study this morning, um, I hope that God will stir in you and do something in you. Uh, and if, that if you're one of His children and you're here this morning, that God may awaken and stir love in you. Uh, because what we see, you know, in, in some ways, this text is really interesting. In some ways, it's pretty simple. That, that the mark of our community, the mark of our fellowship should be love. And that's not love uh, void of conviction. We have our convictions, but love with our convictions. And in some ways, that's just a very easy message. But in some ways, this text this morning... Uh, is, is deep and goes places that uh, I'm not taking you <laughs> this morning. <laughs> uh, we'll, 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 go, we'll go around those edges of that. So anyways, so the text this morning, real, real easy, the main point of the text is found in the first verse that was read, and that's this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The main point of this text is found in the second half of this verse, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Before we jump into that, though, I think the first part of this verse has some things we need to, we need to look at and, and uh, maybe a misconception that we need to overcome. And when it says to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, this is not a proof text or theology about whether or not you should have a mortgage. So you can... Breathe a deep sigh of relief this morning. We're not going there. The Bible does speak to that. And, uh, but that's, that's not where, what Paul is doing this morning. In fact, this word, O, oh, that we find in the beginning of verse 8, um, if we were reading this in the original uh, text, if we were reading this in Greek, uh, the word O oh, uh, has the same root as the word do in uh, verse 7. So in verse 7, render to all what is due them. And if you've been with us, and if you heard Gary's uh, three sermons on uh, verses 1 through 7, you know that Gary uh, said that from these verses that we are to come away with uh, three commands. Does anybody remember what those are? We are to... They rhymed? Pray, pay, and obey. Good, good. And so what we see is that's our responsibility towards the government, towards the state, towards the ruling authorities over us. That's what is due them. And so when Paul goes, and in this verse, he says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, what he's saying is our responsibility as Christians to the one another, and we'll define that in a minute, is love. That's our responsibility. That's what we owe. That's what is due them. And so we see that connection. Now, you may ask the question, okay, who's the one another? Uh, in chapter 12, 
Paul, uh, verses 9 through 21, Paul commanded us to love one another and gave us some verses about how to do that. And, and I would argue that within uh, that section of the Scripture, the one another there was mainly uh, talking about the fellowship of believers, the church, the letter to where Paul uh, was writing to the church there in Rome. I would say that it's, it's pretty clear to me anyways that the, the one another, the who we are to love here is much more broad in this context. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean. Initially in verse 8 it says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. That, that would seem to be, you know, right, you're writing a letter and you say, love one another. You would say, okay, the recipients of this letter, we are to love one another. And certainly that's true. We are to do that. But then it gets interesting in the language that Paul uses. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now this word for neighbor here, uh, it's translated neighbor, but actually this word means another or someone similar but different. And then Paul goes on in verse 9 and 10. He says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And the first neighbor uh, in um, verse 8 is different from the other two in 9 and 10. The one in 9 and 10 is someone who lives close to you. And so what I think, just backing up from that, the language that was used, if we were reading this in its original context, I think it's pretty easy to see that what Paul is saying is Paul is saying that this, this is a broad stroke to love your neighbor. This is a very broad stroke here, not that narrow, um, you church at Rome love one another. Yes, do that, but this is a, a much broader use of the language, a much broader net that's being cast of who we are to love. You know, a, a good example of this is, and it's interesting, some of the connections between Paul and his language here and uh, what Jesus spoke. But in Luke ten twenty six, we have the story of a lawyer coming to Jesus. And he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what does the law say, lawyer? <laughs> And the lawyer answers it correctly. The lawyer says, uh, uh, love your neighbor, or, or love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, correct. And then the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? And do you remember what Jesus does there when the lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? He gives him the story of the Good Samaritan. This radical story of two folks who are ethnically different from one another and this story that was meant to really pry and to probe into this lawyer's life and to show him that your neighbor is everyone. <laughs> and so I think from this context, I think we also see Jesus' words. I think the point here is that our Christian life, our responsibility to the world to the world, is to love. And that's why we have the pictures in the foyer that we have on, and I forget which side is which, but on the, this side we have the prodigal son, and that's, that's to depict the love of God 
for us wayward sinners. And on the other side, we have depicted in picture the Good Samaritan, and that's to depict our response because of God's love in us, our response to the world that we go and that we love. And and Gary mentioned this over uh, the past couple weeks in his sermon as well. Historically, historically, Christians have been a loving people. Now, there are many examples where we have gotten things really wrong. But we can also look throughout history and see the love of Christ in believers going out to the world in things uh, like the, the attempt to uh, uh, eradicate slavery was led by some Christian men. Hospitals, disaster relief, led by Christians. Now, what I want us to see, what I want us to jump back into, is that we see that our neighbor is the world. But I don't want to let go of this word, oh. I don't want to let go of this word, oh. So it says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. And so I ask the question, who is it that we owe? Does that make sense? Because certainly the text is not telling us that the reason we are to love or the people that we are to love are the people that have done nice things to us so we owe them love in return. There's something else going on here. So who are, are we indebted to? Or how are we to love our neighbor? And if you've been with us for, I don't know, seems like ten years now that we've been in the book of Romans, or maybe just two, um, one of the things that you know is that the first half of the book of Romans, or the first eleven chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is laying out the gospel, and it's very... Uh, doctrinal in nature. And then chapters 12 through 16, we've told you, are the now what. And, and if you remember back to 12.1, it was based on the mercy of God that we were to present ourselves as a living sacrifice and that we're commanded, okay, now how should we live based on the mercy of God? And I, I want to turn back to Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Romans chapter 5, and I want to look at verses 5 through 8. And hope does not disappoint. Notice this. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's keep reading. For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But hear this. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God pours His love into our hearts. And while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to die on the cross. And the point here, and I think the point that Paul is driving at throughout this book of Romans, and I I think the point that Jesus continually hit on that we see and that we read in the Gospels is this. 
if you've truly been loved by God, if you're truly one of His children and have experienced the love of God and God's love has been poured into your life, what's going in is going to come out. And, and I think over and over that what we see, it's, it's not only, it's not only, it's enough. It's not only in salvation that God so loved us that He did something for us, but the other thing that we see, and one of the things that I want you to really get this morning, is that what would happen to you this morning, brother or sister, if God all of a sudden took His love away from you? This very moment. It's not only God's love, love that has saved us, but it's God's love that is keeping us. God is pouring out His love in our heart. God is pouring out His mercy to us, so much so that if He were to, if he were to withhold that, we would all be in major trouble. So I want you to be keenly aware this morning of God's love for you. And the more that we look into the face of Christ and understand the love that God has for us, that He sent Christ to die for us and that His Spirit indwells us and that Christ is interceding for us, the more we look into the face of Christ, the thing that naturally begins to bubble up and come out of us is love. And so I think that's this whole indebted and owe thing. It makes this a debt that's never going to be repaid. But it's not a debt that's burdensome. It's a joyous debt because God is pouring out His love in us and we're so, we feel so indebted and invigorated because of God's love in us that we demonstrate that. We pay that debt, if it will. We do that by loving others, by loving our neighbor. It comes out of us. Now, Jumping back here into the text, we see again the main point is that love fulfills the law. And when Paul talks about the law, most of the time, um, I think that most, and this is a little debatable, there are several things here that are debatable, but I think when Paul talks about the law, most of the time he's talking about the Decalogue or the, the Ten Commandments. And in verse 10, he gets into, or in verse 9, he gets into the Ten Commandments uh, in a minute. So, so one of the things I want to look at is what in the world does Paul mean when he says that love for our neighbor has fulfilled the law? And I think several things uh, are meant by that, but one of the things that I want to look at in verse 9 is notice this. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal and you shall not covet. Now, kids, I have already given it away, but uh, these are three of what? Ten Commandments. Good job, Amelia. I saw that mouth moving. She was right. <laughs> Good job, Amelia. And so what we see is, is one, of the ways that, one of the ways that love fulfills the law is because if we're truly wanting to love someone we look at the law and we see that in the law it teaches us how to love. And this is a very simple point, right? 
If you love someone, you won't commit adultery. If you love someone, you won't murder them. If you love someone, you will not steal from them. And if you love someone, you will not covet what they have. And what's interesting, Paul doesn't just stop there. He goes a step further. Notice this. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This reminds me of a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching and the, the, the point, it was right after New Year's and if you remember, I was preaching on uh, where Jesus was talking to the scribe and the scribe came to Jesus and we know that the scribes liked to debate the law and there were 613 laws and the scribes liked to debate and so the question that the scribe gave to Jesus was might have been a trap, but it also may have just been that he was curious of, of, of which 613 laws Jesus would place as more important than the other ones. And Jesus, do you remember his response? There is no other God but one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think, it's interesting to me, because I think Paul may have this in his mind of these 613 uh, laws, and what Paul is saying is, and all the other things, if there are any other commandments, it's all summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what in the world does this mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Because some of you are in here this morning and you may say, well, that's a really low bar. I don't love myself very well. So loving others, if I love them like I love myself, may not be very loving. (laughs) And I think one of the things that Paul is meaning by this is that innate in all of us, even if we're in a really bad place emotionally, innate in all of us is a a movement towards uh, relief, uh, a movement towards um, uh, what we would consider our own good. That can be misguided of what that is, but there's this movement, this impulse in us. And so I think what Paul is saying is, love your neighbor as yourself. Your impulse for others should be their preservation, their well-being, and their good. I heard a uh, sermon illustration that talked about kind of how do we do this, and I I just can't think of anything better, so I'm going to steal uh, from this pastor, but because I'm telling you I'm stealing from him, then it's okay. And he gave an example of there was a lawyer in his church who had a lot of money, had been very successful, um, and he, uh, uh, he and his family were wanting to uh, help out. There was a, a young lady who uh, had started coming to the church, and uh, she was pregnant out of wedlock, um, didn't have any money, was considering... Uh, an abortion, and uh, this lawyer and his wife just felt really convicted to, to help this young lady. And so the pastor made the point, like, you know, how ignorant would it be if the lawyer looked at this command and said, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you would have asked the lawyer, you know, how would you show love to yourself today? He may say, I think the way I would show love to myself is to buy myself a new iPad. So then what I'm going to do, I'm going to go buy this young lady an iPad. 
crazy, right? <laughs> In reality, what this lawyer and his wife had to do was to get involved in this young lady's life and to see what her needs were, to see where the hurts were, to see where the pains were. And then to get into this person's life and to get outside of their own head and then to learn and to talk with her about what it might look like to do the how of loving your neighbor as yourself, which looked a lot different than an iPad. Now, you may ask, I ask (laughs) this question, and here's where we begin to get into some potentially some deeper waters, and I'm uh, wanting to navigate around the fringes of some of that. But, you know, you may ask yourself, you know, Paul, why all this talk about law? Why don't you just say, love your neighbor as yourself? Why all this law talk? Um, And I think the answer really is, is that if you go throughout the whole book of Romans, Paul often goes back to the law and talks about the law a lot. And Paul isn't one that is saying, you know, you could read Romans and almost get the impression that Paul says, uh, law bad, spirit good, um, if he spoke like a caveman. I know I just did that. Uh, but, but in reality, you know, in chapter 7, verses 12 and 14, Paul calls the law holy, righteous, good, and spiritual. The, the problem is, And one of the problems that is going on that Paul is battling all throughout the book of Romans is that the law can't save us. And he's constantly battling this idea of that the law can't save us. And then what Paul is also saying is that once we're saved, um, the law is not what keeps us. Uh, So it's not the... Things don't hinge on the law like the... Jews of the day and the scribes and the Pharisees of the day, they were saying that everything hinged on this written law, this duty-driven thing. And what Paul is doing and laying out here, he's, he's trying to abolish that. And so when we get here, when we get to this text, when we get to this text and he says things like verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law, there are some words here that should if we were reading this as just one letter, draw us back to something else. And it's something that's pretty wonderful. And so let's look back to Romans chapter 8. This is not the first time, because it's a pretty radical statement if you think about it. In fact, um, I, I, I felt really good about the early start I had on this sermon, and then the more that it just uh, percolated... Uh, the more inadequate I feel, felt about um, some of the things that some of the, the, the loose ends uh, that a, a passage like this uh, has for us. But it, what I want you to see is that this isn't the first time, as Paul's saying, that love fulfills the law. This is not the first time that, law, that Paul talks about the law being fulfilled. So let's look in chapter 8, and I want to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and I want you to see what Paul is saying here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, notice this, this is where I want you to hear this, for what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did. So you have the law, and it was weak, and and the law couldn't produce what it was meant to produce because of man's sinfulness. If you remember back however long ago it was that we were here, we talked about this. And so the law couldn't do that, but God did. And how did God do this? Verse 3, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so God sent Jesus who was the perfect sacrifice, who walked in complete obedience, who never broke a law, God sent Him to be the sacrifice so that, we see in verse 4, the requirement of the law, notice this, might be fulfilled in us. Here's this wording. The law is fulfilled in us. How is the law fulfilled in us? Because of what we do or how great we are? No, the law is fulfilled in us in that it is imputed to us. What Christ did, His work, His righteousness, His sacrifice is imputed to us so that the law is fulfilled in us. Now, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Notice, notice if you keep going, so that the law, so the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice this. This is the change that happens to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 2, remember, for the law of the Spirit and life of Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so what we see, what we see, is that the law is fulfilled in us because of the past work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and and the law is fulfilled in us because of the Spirit's work that is in us. And what is the Spirit producing in us? Love. Love. Love as fulfilling the law Versus law-keeping as fulfilling the law. Jesus utters this. Jesus utters a lot of things that are controversial. But think about this. In John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have Love for one another. Notice Jesus didn't say, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you do the law. Now in one sense that's what he's saying because what he's saying is that loving is the commandment and that loving is the law. So, What we have to look at this as is love as fulfilling the law versus law-keeping as fulfilling the law. And the what I want to say is that's a false dichotomy I just set up. (laughs) Because what, what Paul isn't saying here is 
because notice he even brings in the, the Decalogue to this. He's not saying, oh, all we need is love. Or, you know. Sorry, that was not in the notes, but it just sometimes that stuff just happens. What he's saying is that love leads to and is fulfilling the law. That it's summed up, that it's fulfilled there. Love is the expression of the law. Love is kind of the bones from which the law comes out. And so the dichotomy that I I am trying to steer you away from is this dichotomy of saying, works, 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 works. No. What Christ is saying to us is, love, love, love. And love, love, love leads to works, works, works. But from the right place. So, I want to ask you a question and then I want to make this, hopefully not an odd turn, but I want to make maybe an odd turn because there's two things that I want to end with that I think fit pretty well um, within this context. And so the first question I want to ask, because I think this is the thing that probably many of you struggle with, certainly that I struggle with, is so you may ask the question, so what if I don't love? And I think sometimes in modern, uh, with our modern psychology kind of pop culture, we, we, we dress this up and we give a lot of bad answers to this. And so I just kind of want to hit it square on the head and say, look, any impulse in you that is unloving or is moving away from love to a neighbor, and remember that broad definition of neighbor, is a sin. Any impulse in you to move away from a neighbor, away from loving neighbor, is a sin. And so how do we handle sin? We've got to deal with it. We've got to recognize that it's in us. So we don't look at the neighbor and say, hey, listen, you become more loving so I can love you. We look in us, and this is hard, this isn't easy. We look in us and we say, oh, there's something going on here. And we, we, we root that out. Now, so we must confess, we must examine, we must repent. We can't justify what's going on in us. Now, there is, man, there are... And it's it's a good thing. There are books written, and there are seminars that you can go to that talk about uh, things like boundaries and all sorts of other things. And we're not getting into all that today because that would just we'd be here forever. But what I am saying is that the impulse of if the impulse to set boundaries in a relationship is not based on love for the other, then something's wrong. And that's a bold statement. And if you want to talk to me later, I'll talk to you about that. One other thing on this um, about not loving and what if I don't want to love and you know, C.S. Lewis and Martin Lloyd-Jones were, were good on this. Um, uh, one of the things that they wanted to guard against was um, so 
Um, let, let's say that it's hard for me to love Jack Gartman uh, because of where he goes to school. Um, oh, did I? Again, I'm off. I, uh, so what I don't do is sit around in my prayer closet. It's good to pray about this and say, God, produce a feeling. And when you produce a feeling, then I'll be loving towards Jack. Where C.S. Lewis and Martin Lloyd-Jones were really helpful on this is that they said, hey, look, you know, what you should do as a believer, this is in C.S. Lewis's section of Mere Christianity on Charity, he said something along the lines of, hey, you need to think about, Lewis, how, what would you do if you did love Jack? How would you act and do those things? Because what we have recognized is if we act that way in charity and love towards others, that the heart follows sometimes. And so I just want to say that side note of this whole thing of what if I don't love. Now, much more could be said here, um, but again, I want to end with two things um, that uh, weigh heavy on my heart, um, and I, I just don't want this month to go by without us maybe bringing just a little bit more of a spotlight although not what either one of these two issues are due, but just a little bit more of a spotlight on those two issues. And, you know, last week was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And again, one of the things that I, I want us to think through is that as Christians, we are not to be known just by our convictions. And I see terrible examples of this to where we're only known by our convictions and so therefore we're seen as um, not loving people. I think the biblical response um, to this whole issue of sanctity of human life and abortion is that it's, it's wrong and that it's murder. The hard part, what Christians have had to, to handle and work through is, okay, so what does it mean to love in this context? And, and I have seen this church do some amazing things through things like um, adoption and going down and uh, one of the, one of the uh, groups that we support, uh, the, the local missions uh, supports is uh, Choices. And some of you have gotten involved with them and done some things and, and it is just awesome. And I want to challenge us, you know, that we are to do things like to, 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 to love these babies of these moms who have made these courageous choices to have the babies and then to even give them up for adoption, that we are to, to, to love the babies and love the families that are loving the babies. That's one way. And I want to say that's, that, although that's hard, you know, because they're late nights and that sort of thing, I think it's a little harder when we start talking in the context of the mothers who have had abortion and the fathers who have encouraged abortions, that we are to love them as well. And how do we do that? always being ready to lay out the gospel that our sin and their sin, that there's not a difference in God's eyes. The penalty for those sins are the same. And so we are to, to think hard and deeply about how do we love these mothers and fathers who make these bad choices. And now I'm going to say the hardest one for me. Um, I don't know if any of you saw this this past week where the state of New York passed new abortion laws where you can abort a baby at nine months old. So here's the hard part for Lewis. The hard part for Lewis is that the response 
when the vote was announced was a standing ovation. I won't make you raise your hands. Gary also asked us for a couple of weeks who have been praying for our leaders. And there's things inside of me that sparks, uh, I think, righteous indignation. But how am I to have that inside of me and still to love and pray for and want the good of those lawmakers who are so blinded? and are celebrating evil, calling evil good. How do I love them? This command to love our neighbor is not easy. So, I want us to be thinking about that. I want us to be praying through that. I want us to be acting on that. Again, we are to be a light. We are to be salt. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men so that people will see your good works and recognize what a good guy you are. No. So that people may see your good works and glorify God. This idea of loving our neighbor is, is big. And so how can we be light, salt, and love in hard situations. So that's the first issue that I wanted to speak of. The second one um, is one that uh, Gary and I and some other folks have have tried to get more involved with over the past year or so. And uh, the other thing that uh, this month that I think churches should take note of is uh, the Martin Luther King holiday. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think sometimes we like to think that uh, uh, there's, there's no issue with race relations anymore. Um, but I think that um, we would be foolish uh, to think that. And one of the things that uh, we know and that we proclaim, that we want to proclaim often from this pulpit, is that at the foot of the cross there is no color barrier. That... So one of the things I want to take the opportunity to say this morning to you is that if there is any hint of prejudice, prejudice or unloving tendencies based upon race or color or creed, brother or sister, that is a sin that the evil one has used to divide us as a church for many, many years that needs to be rooted out. And that's one of those things that I was talking about earlier that we need to be able to repent of and to bring uh, into the light. You know, and uh, it, it doesn't mean, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things I was, I was talking with someone yesterday about this because they knew that uh, we had been involved with um, uh, some multi-ethnic uh, pastor meetings to um, try to forge some relationships um, to try to help our congregations and to try to help our city to move forward uh, when it comes to this um, because people of the gospel and people of the word um, are called to love one another and so it's kind of a shame if we have a hard time loving within the church walls. Um, 
how are we going to love our community? And, uh, you know, one of the things I think that we would all come out of these meetings saying is that um, I think a lot of us thought it would be a little easier to divide a path towards uh, deeper reconciliation. And one of the things I think we leave these meetings saying is that, man, these issues are deep. And there are some ingrained thought patterns on all the various sides of these issues that are hard to overcome. But, but, I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't say you have to have all the issues worked out due to hundreds or thousands of years of poor race relations in order to love your neighbor. It's not what our Scripture says, is it? Our Scripture tells us what? Love. (laughs) And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. Um, I've been amazed um, at the more that you grow and display love to one another, the more some of those issues are easier to talk about. Isn't it easier to talk about something uncomfortable with someone that loves you? So, again, ending in maybe an odd place, but I felt like it was fitting. I want to challenge us, as Gary had challenged us over the past couple weeks, let's be who we are. Let's be the church. The church of Jesus Christ. The church whom God sent His Son to die for. The church in whom God pours out His love into our hearts through His Spirit. The church in whom is made up of believers whom the Spirit indwells. And that indwelling Spirit causes us to love. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray, Lord, that we can walk out of here this morning feeling like our load's been lightened a little bit. (laughs) Knowing that we don't owe anything to anyone except to love. (laughs) God, help us to be a people who love well, who love radically. God, it goes without saying that true love is always based upon the truth and the the gospel is the truth and your word and uh, the law that you've set forward in your word is the truth and it is loving. So God, help us to be people of the word. But that every time we go to your word and encounter your word, that it unleashes love in our hearts and help us to be a people who are just known. God, I pray that Signal Mountain Bible Church is just known as a people who love you supremely and love others no matter what the cost to us. God, continue to change us into that. We only can pray this because of the work of your Son who you sent to die for us in our place. It's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.